Good morning, everybody. So good to see so many faces out there today. Uh, our scripture text is in the book of Psalms. Uh, we're reading Psalm 24. Uh, so I'm sure Pastor Brian will get into this, but we're getting to our God's Playlist edition of 2020. Uh, Psalm 24. So I'll read the entire chapter here. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and that it's sufficient and that it's reliable. It's everything we need to know for salvation. It's everything that our hearts need to hear for sanctification. Lord, as we turn to your book today, to this word of hope, to this word of encouragement, uh, may our hearts be fertile ground for these seeds to land in. And Father, may your servant, Pastor Brian, Lord, may his words ring true. May they be in accord with what you have written and commanded your people. Or may our hearts be encouraged today, uh, not just feeling lighter because we heard a gospel message, but being changed and knowing that sin no longer has reign over our hearts and we are no longer condemned because of your mercy. But we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much, Brady, for reading our text this morning and for that prayer for us. It is our hope that we will be changed today by this psalm, by God's word as we go through it. Today we're starting our series here, uh, God's Playlist, and I say starting in the fact that we're starting it up again this year. If my calculations are correct, I think they are, um, I think this is, would be the sixth year we've been preaching through a portion of the psalm. So we started Psalm 1. And now we're all the way to Psalm 24, and the goal, Lord willing, if uh, God allows me to preach this long, is preach through the whole thing, so we'll see. Um, but uh, we're going to continue to work through the Psalms for as long as possible. So today we're on Psalm 24, next week we'll be in Psalm 25, and then the following week we'll be in Psalm 26. Uh, so if you want to be following along and, and reading ahead, uh, you can. Uh, so we titled it God's Playlist because... Uh, psalms really are, uh, you know, a song that has been written, a poetic 
song that has been written, um, many of them, most of them by David, but there are others that have uh, also contributed to this. But ultimately, we know because of our understanding of Scripture that God used David to write these, and God used the other psalmist to write these. And these are actually God's songs and God's poetry meant to convey who he is and how we should rightly view our world, our own feelings, our hope, ultimately, um, as we know now, on this side of the cross, our hope in Jesus Christ. And so these are different songs that God has put together for us to encourage us in understanding him, knowing him, in his ways. And so that's why we look at this as God's playlist. These are the songs he's put together. So God has created a mixtape here for us all. And uh, now we are challenged by it so that we might learn him, know him, and follow his ways. Today's sermon is titled, Worshiping the Sovereign Holy God. Worshiping the Sovereign Holy God. And today our main point is this, you are invited to join in worshiping the sovereignty and holiness of God through our mediating King. You're invited to join in worshiping the sovereignty and holiness of God through our mediating King. So today we're going to be working through uh, three questions and uh, really just breaking down that main point and doc talking about how is God's sovereignty affirmed here in this text? Then how is God's holiness affirmed in this text? And then, um, who is the King of glory? I didn't come up with that question. That question's in the text. I just am using it as part of my point here. Who is the King of glory? And then our fourth point is going to be connecting to everyday life. So hopefully as we work through this, we will gain uh, a greater understanding of who our God is and have great confidence in Him, even in our sinfulness, um, even in our finiteness, we can trust in Him and His sovereignty and holiness. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask now that You would use Your Word in my attempts to faithfully present it and clearly present it to instruct our hearts, instruct our minds, Focus us on your glory and our ability to enjoy your glory through the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, in times of uncertainty and in times of sinfulness, we are meant to be confronted by both your sovereignty and your holiness. And in being confronted by those, we are meant to fall in dependence on you. May, may we see the great need we each have individually and we all have corporately of your grace, of your mercy. And may we see that you are a God who shows mercy upon whom he shows mercy and compassion upon whom he shows compassion. You are truly a God of grace. You have poured it out in your Son, Jesus Christ. And may we have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Not only us, Lord, we pray as well for those who are meeting today all across the world as your church that faithfully preach your word and present the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, may their hearts be knit together with us in union with our head, Jesus Christ, as we seek to worship You, as we seek to learn from You today, as we seek to follow You in our lives. Lord, I pray that You would be specifically uh, with uh, Seth Curtis, our missionary, and New Life Church today there in uh, Lubumbashi in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Lord, uh, use him and his ministry there. We pray for uh, Bob Harris as he meets with his churches in Idaho that you would just give grace to him today as he seeks to uh, encourage and strengthen the churches there. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first point this morning. How is God's sovereignty affirmed? As we look at this text and we think about our world today, um, we can maybe look at it and wonder, is there somebody in control of this? What is going on? There's chaos all over the place. Division, especially when we focus in on our own nation. Like There's all this division. There's all this chaos. Is, is there control going on here? And the psalmist, even as he looks at his world, can see the same type of thing. Um, this says here it's a psalm of David. And we know just from the history recorded for us in Scripture, David's life was not really easy going, was it? I mean, even after he becomes king, there's these constant issues that come up. It's a very chaotic uh, life that David lives. And so in light of that, he affirms here the sovereignty of God. And we want to ask ourselves, how does he affirm it? We want to see who God is. Part of God's playlist is to present to us who God is. But, but before we do, we're confronted with how we might feel in regards to the world. As he begins to say, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and affirms this glorious truth of God's sovereignty, there is a part of our human nature, our sinful nature, as we look around at a world that has been, that has been eroded by sin. And we wonder, is God in control? Is God sovereign? Is that what's really going on? Sometimes we're we're quick to like um, quick to like hope in like revelation on earth, like the 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 book of Revelation being lived on earth, especially the last chapter. Not maybe not the first few chapters where everything's getting destroyed and seals are being broken and plates are being poured out and on, on top of the judgment of God's wrath being poured out. But we're like, where, where, when are we going to get to that time when Jesus returns and His kingdom is set forth? It's not now. It's not right now. And so in light of that, that not being now, Jesus not appearing and ruling over everything, that not being now, we may be tempted to wonder, is He even ruling at all right now? Now, Scripture affirms to us the fact that God is sit, seated on His throne and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and all things have been placed under His feet. But when we're living in our world today, this very moment, sometimes, sometimes what's right in front of us causes what we know to be true as God's people to fade a bit. And here, David reminds us of God's sovereignty. So how is God's sovereignty affirmed? First of all, God's sovereignty is absolute. 
God's sovereignty is absolute. The word absolute is meant to convey the idea of it being total, of it not being subject to any limitations, of God's sovereignty being unconditional. In that sense, God is God because He is absolutely sovereign. To challenge, one one writer wrote, to challenge the sovereignty of God is inescapably to challenge God Himself. For a God who is not completely sovereign is a contradiction of terms. So here we are looking at a God who is absolutely sovereign. And David presents it this way. The earth is the Lord's. Who owns it? God. Who rules over it? God. He is in absolute control and authority over the earth. But not only the earth and the fullness thereof. And all that fills it is under His control. And in case in case we wondered if that includes us, David said, in the world and those who dwell therein. Not just the trees and not just the rocks and not just the streams are under God's control, but actual living, breathing, sentient beings that we are with our own thoughts and our own actions that we are responsible for are yet still under the absolute authority and sovereignty of God. This is His sovereign power so that nothing in all of God's creation is outside of His supreme power and authority. In light of the temptation to think the chaos of this world is outside of God's control, David reminds us that it is not. Everything is under His sovereignty, absolutely. But also, we can see affirmed here in this text, God's sovereignty is infinite. It is infinite. And I look here to this word, is. The word is helps us to understand the infiniteness of God's sovereignty. It's not was, as if at some point it ceased to be under God's power. You know, if it was, if it read the earth was the Lord's, we think, is it now? It's not will be, as if there was a time when it was not under God's power, and yet there will be a time in the future when it is, as if there was some point in time when chaos reigned and God did not, yet there will be a time when Jesus will return and He will actually reign. Truly, there is a time when Jesus will return and that physical reign will be evidence to our eyes. But what David is saying when he says is, is that even within the chaos of the life that we live, of our existence right now, God has not removed Himself from the throne. And in fact, God will never remove Himself from the throne. God has not nor ever will abdicate His supreme power or authority over all of creation. Therefore, there is no point in time where any part of God's creation existed outside of His supreme power and His supreme authority. 
so that we might then say, based upon these two things, based upon our understanding of this one verse, I could probably preach the rest of the sermon just on this one verse. I'm tempted just to stay here and keep talking about it. But God's sovereignty is absolutely infinite and infinitely absolute. God's sovereignty is absolutely infinite and infinitely absolute. There's no question. And to question it is to question the very existence of God Himself. Which leads us to verse 2 and the next point here under how God's sovereignty is affirmed. God's sovereignty is the right of the Creator. The word for here helps us to understand that this is the because. Why is God the earth God's because or for? It's this, this basis of the statement of God's sovereignty because why He has founded it. And then He has established it. Now there's some debate about what is meant by upon the seas and upon the rivers. We're not going to get into that. What we're really focused on is what is the reason? Because God is the creator of it all. He founded it. He established it. God is the creator, and the creator has every right to wield complete power and authority over His creation. If we could somehow become our own creators, we could maybe make a case for us to be sovereign, for us to have the supreme power and authority. But the fact is, we cannot. Let's all try it together. Let's all seek to create a glass of water out of midair. Go ahead. Glass of water, appear. We can't. And, and then, already I'm using things that are based upon God's creation, right? I mean, where did water come from? Or the idea of water? wasn't mine, right? God created it. The molecules that make up the glass, that's God, right? The, the wisdom of the person that was able to blow the glass into the glass is a gift from God. Why does He have the right over us? Because again, that could be a challenge to us. In the midst of all this chaos, I don't see God. So therefore, I, maybe I just need to claim my own right to my own authority over my own life. And if I could just do what needs to be done, then it will be right. Then everything will be right with my world. No, that's not the case. Not only is that actually impossible for us to do, we really cannot do that. There are things outside of our control that we cannot change in this world. But we are not the Creator, and we therefore cannot claim that right. It is not ours. It is God's. So how is God's sovereignty affirmed? It's affirmed as absolute, it's affirmed as infinite, and it's affirmed as His right as Creator. No one else, no other being in existence has the sovereign right that God has. So if you think about sovereignty of any of the angels, they don't have the same right as God had. They don't have sovereignty like God had. You think about Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the rule of this world. He does not have the same sovereign right that God has. His rule is not absolute, and his rule is not infinite. Again, you turn the book of Revelation, you'll see that. right? Thrown into the lake of fire by who? 
by the absolutely infinite and infinitely absolutely sovereign God. God's sovereignty rules over all things. Secondly, how is God's holiness affirmed here in our text? So just like with sovereignty, we might feel different about God's sovereignty when we look at this world. Same thing with holiness. We look at a world that is broken by sin. We look at a world that is struggling to, um, to reflect even the very image of its creator um, because of humanity's both plunging itself into sin and then in turn eroding all of creation toxifying all of creation because of sin. But lest we be too proud and only look at the world outside of us and the corruption that exists out there, with, even without all of that, all we have to do is turn our thoughts inward and we are confronted with the depths of sin. Because each one of us, each one of us falls short of God's holiness. And not just a little bit, you know? Not, not just a tiny bit. I mean, we're not talking, here's a couple hundred pounds weights, and we're all going to line up today, this morning, we're all going to try to lift it, all right? We'll get enough weight on there that no one could really lift it, but maybe someone could just maybe get it right off the ground and then it falls down. You know, the goal of holiness is to lift it over your head, and not only that, but to dance on one foot, uh, you know? But we're talking about like, all right, so let's, you know, we think, well, hundreds of pounds. Wow, that's crazy. No, we're talking thousands of pounds. No, millions of pounds on this weight. And as you go to lift it, your arms break and fall off because you are completely unable. That's how short we fall of God's holiness. And that's how short our world falls of God's holiness. Both everything around us and everything in us falls short of God's holiness. And yet David here calls us to see God's holiness. Calls us to affirm God's holiness. And in affirming it, while we see how short we are, yet we find there is great hope because the God of holiness is going to demonstrate His grace to us. And so we read, who shall ascend, in verse 3, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul for what is false, who does not swear deceitfully. For he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Here we first of all see God's holiness is also absolute. It is total. It is not subject to any limitation. It is not, or it is unconditional. There is no condition within God's holiness. He is absolutely holy. And therefore, God is also God because He is absolutely holy. He is set apart from all other things and then specifically set apart from sin. And that's really where our text draws us to, not just His set apartness from all things, which is here in the text. Right? What, is, what does the person have to do? He has to go to God. He has to enter into His presence. Why? Because God is set apart from all things. But then, when you get to verse 4, what is it we see? And we see it even, even mentioned in verse 3 as he, he describes the place where God is as 
holy, what do you say? Clean hands, pure heart, not lifting up his soul, to be proud, not swearing deceitful, deceitfully, not giving his word falsely. We see God is also God because he's absolutely holy, set apart from sin. There's an absoluteness to it. In fact, as you think about what is being said here, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. This this reference is to perfection. There is no blemish at all. All right? And so we're just thinking about the most sterile of, of, of situations where the human being cleans himself as much as possible, sterilizes himself as much as possible, so there's nothing on him whatsoever. And when we think, well, maybe I could do that. No, 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 you don't understand. You are like a toddler who was playing out in the dirt. All right? And then your mom says, go clean up. And what do you do? You turn on the water and maybe put your hands under it. Well, you usually do because it's fun. Splash. Right? How clean do they get? Not very clean. That's how we are. But not only that, he goes on to say, who does not lift up his soul. Not, not who, who is not currently, but who does not. In the sense of perfection. Who has never been proud. Who does not swear falsely. Who's never given a false statement in his life. How many of us fall into those categories? Huh? Is there anyone here who's never lied before in their entire life? Never told a single lie. None of us, right? We all fall short of this absolute holiness of God. Number two, we see here from the text, as holiness is affirmed, that God's holiness encompasses His presence. It's not necessarily good news for people who are sinful and who aren't perfect. It's to ascend the hill of the Lord, referencing uh, specifically the picture of Zion or Jerusalem, and to stand in His holy place, referencing one entering the temple in Jerusalem. And the, 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 the first portion of the temple inside was described as the holy place, and then inside further was the holy of holies. And so but when they entered the temple, even when they imp- in- entered the temple grounds, there was a court for all of Israel to be able to come, and there's a court for the Gentiles. There are different courts for different people. They all understood that when they entered that temple grounds, they were entering the presence of the Lord. And then in turn, the priests were able to enter into the holy place where the Lord's presence is more fully felt and where the shoe bread was and where the, where the, uh, the candle stands were that, that, uh, that represented uh, the in many ways, the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life. And this is now entering into God's presence like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And then there's the Holy of Holy Places. And only the high priest could go in there once a year and made atonement for the whole nation. And this is the holiness of God and how, how it's confined to specific uh, abilities based upon the priest purifying themselves, based upon the high priest purifying himself so he might enter. We all fall very short of that because Jerusalem and the temple are just pictures. Just pictures of what is truly the residence of God in the heavenlies. 
who can scale that height or enter into his true presence. We might think, well, maybe I can enter into the form. You know, in many ways, we are coming together to enter into God's presence here at church. So maybe you think, well, I can go to church. Church is just a picture, just a representation of what's actually going on as God's people are entering to his presence. And we realize that we cannot enter based upon our holiness. And we sung about this, right? How we need God, right? Lord, I need you. And then come behold the wondrous mystery that God provides the necessary righteousness and holiness that we need because we don't have it to provide ourselves. But that's the the need for for entering into His presence is, is holiness. And for us to think somehow we have it is to buy into the foolishness of Babel who sought to build a tower to the heavens and, and reach the gods. We think somehow our own sinful, sinful trying, sinful religious workings, we can somehow build our tower to God. But that is not the case. We cannot. We do not have clean hands. We do not have a pure heart. Our soul has been lifted up before in pride and our mouth has spoken falsely. We have broken God's laws. And if we just break even one, we do not have the perfect holiness that God's presence requires of us. Because, going back to point one, His holiness is absolute. It is total, without limitation, unconditional. So what are we to do? What are we to do with such a demand for holiness, perfect holiness? This requirement of all of God's people, yet knowing our own sinfulness, we cannot enter. We must realize that none of us, none of us, as verse 6 says, will seek Him and seek His face without His grace. God granting us what we do not have. And the fact that granting of holiness is a glorious, monumental blessing because in this text, God's holiness, number three, is the channel of His blessing. It is through His holiness being presented, through His holiness being satisfied, that God is then able to demonstrate blessing to His people. How does that happen? How does... How is God's holiness going to be satisfied by people who can't satisfy His holiness? Not with our own holiness, which we have none of our own doing, but rather with the holiness of Christ. If holiness were a garment, we'd be dressed in filthy rags. And that's the point that is made in Zechariah chapter 3. In Zechariah chapter 3, we read about the priest of God Joshua, who is seeking to stand before the Lord. And it says here, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Just like all of us would be. 
We do not come holy and clean and pure before God. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. Now, my understanding is that the angel of the Lord is the personification of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And so here's Jesus Christ before he becomes human, demonstrating how he saves someone, how he gives them holiness. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge in my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Notice he gives him the regulations, but when does he give him the regulations? After he gives him grace and changes his filthy robes into pure vestments, pure garments. Our dependence to have clean hands, because really the psalmist here is calling us to have clean hands, to have a pure heart, to have a, a, a soul that is not lifted up, to be completely humble, to not swear deceitfully, to be completely trustworthy. He's calling us to that, but we understand we cannot fulfill the absolute requirement of holiness, nor can we even come close to it. So what do we read? Five, we will receive blessing from the Lord. Why? Because we have righteousness from the God of our salvation. Where does our righteousness come from? And in turn, righteousness being paralleled with holiness many, in many ways in Scripture. Where does it come from? It comes from God. What it says here. So that He can rightly be called what? The God of our salvation. Your works don't save you. They never will. God's call for us to live rightly before Him like His call to Joshua comes not before you get saved but after you are saved by God. Because it is God alone who saves us. It's God alone who gives us the righteousness and holiness we desperately need. Number three, who is this King of glory? Who is this King of glory? First of all, the King is God descending to dwell with humanity. Just like, just like the picture of ascending the holy hill was, direct, was, was, was directly understood by Israel as Jerusalem, and to enter His holy place was directly understood by the Israelites as the temple. So when we read here, lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. We are meant to, like the Israelites would have pictured, the gates would have been the gates of Jerusalem. The doors would have been the doors of the temple, open wide. And here, the King is being celebrated and called to come in. And who is this King of glory? It is not David. Right? In many ways, David is meant to represent a picture of who it is. Here we're told it is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. But the picture of 
the King of glory, the Lord coming and entering through the gates and through the ancient doors is, is, is now we can understand that fully. While probably an Israelite would have thought of the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God coming and entering and residing in the temple, we understand that that Shekinah glory, the glory of God, came more fully to our eyes so that we could see and understand and know in the person of Jesus Christ, that the King who is God descended to dwell with humanity, took on flesh and blood and walked through the very gates of Jerusalem that's being mentioned here. It stood in the very temple. Here God comes to dwell with humanity. But not only that, we're told here that He is strong and mighty, mighty in battle. And so secondly, the King is God equipped to fight for humanity. Well, I don't believe the Israelites would understand all of that. In many respects, they would be, they would be understanding them, the might and power and battle-worthiness warrior-like God is to help them defeat all the nations around them. We know that our enemy is not those other nations. Our enemy is sin and death. And Jesus came, took on human flesh so that He might die and therefore conquer sin and death for us. The Lord entering into Jerusalem. He enters with the warrior to fight sin and death. Now, now in many ways, we look at the Gospels and what do we see? We see a very meek and calm Jesus. And we often parallel that meek and calm Jesus with the Jesus in Revelation that comes on the white horse with the sword. But let me tell you something. When Jesus came as a baby, He came to fight. And He came to conquer. And He did what He set out to do. He is strong and mighty. Mighty in battle. He faced sin and death and he laughed in their faces and crushed them. And we are the recipients of that, recipients of that. Because he fought for humanity, we then have salvation. Thirdly, the king is Jesus Christ. This psalm is meant to point us to him. And it was very interesting as I was reading through Zechariah 3, and I knew I was going there. What title does the angel of the Lord take? The Lord of hosts. What do we read here? Verse 10, who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And he has fought for us. We can look to Jesus Christ for our hope, both in this life and in the next. He has given himself so that all who put faith and trust in him will have their sins forgiven be given the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, so that we might truly enter into His presence. It is Jesus Christ who gives us His robes of righteousness and removes our filthy robes so that we might enter into the presence of a holy God. Number four, connecting to everyday life. How can we connect this to everyday life? Well, first of all, are you trusting in the mediator? In the mediating King, Jesus Christ. He is the one who must who must bring us holiness because we cannot. He is the one who must fight our battle against sin and death because we cannot. So are you trusting in Him? 
hope I hope today that you are. If you if you have not yet believed in Him, I hope you would. At the end of our presentation here uh, uh, online, there's going to be some ways you can contact us if you'd like to talk more about that. If you're here today and want to talk more about that, please stay after. I would love to talk to you about that. Are you trusting in the mediator? But I also want to say that to ask that to the believers as well. Sometimes we can be tempted to slip back into our self-righteousness, self-justification. We begin to think that, you know, God may owe us, or we're doing a good job, so God's gonna, God should look kindly on us. We forget that our holiness is like filthy rags. Our hands cannot lift the weights of God's absolute holiness. We are dependent as much on Jesus Christ today as the day we were saved. And we will be dependent on Him for all eternity. The only reason we're made sinless in eternity is because of Jesus. <laughs> and we will continue to depend on Him for in all eternity. And so are you trusting in that mediator? Secondly, how are you expressing worship to God? We're confronted with the greatness of God and the call is to join in worshiping Him. How are you expressing worship to God? When you look at this world with all its chaos, is your, your natural heart response is going to probably be some type of doubt or some type of worry. But that is conquered how? By knowing and worshiping the God who is absolutely, infinitely sovereign and who is absolutely holy. We do not need to fear. We do not need to doubt because our God is greater than all of them. And then lastly, how can you rest in the sovereign, holy God? Well, first of all, you need to know Him well. Why was David able to rest and then call Israel to rest? Because David had spent time with God, getting to know Him. I mean, that's why David is called, even with all this chaos and everything, what is he called? He's described as the man after God's own heart. And that's what we're meant to be. We're meant to be people after God's own heart. And therefore, we are meant to be people of His Word because God reveals Himself to us through His Word. And as we know Him well, what are we going to do? We're going to trust Him. And trust brings rest. So if you struggle with resting in His sovereignty, you're worried about the world and what's going on today. You're worried about um, what might happen in the future. Go to God's Word. See God's face. Here's a God who is in complete control. And nothing slips past Him. If you know Him well, you will know that. And you'll be able to trust Him. Again, our first natural instinct, because we're sinful people, is to doubt. So I'm not saying eradicate doubt never doubt. I'm saying conquer doubt with the rest in God's sovereignty. But also in His holiness, you say, man, I really messed up this last week. Yeah, you probably did. <laughs> Not going to sugarcoat any of that. If you live in sin, it's messing up, right? But what is, how do we rest in God's holiness? Because that's the holiness we're given in Christ. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because we wear the robes of Christ. Again, how are we going to know that? How are we going to have confidence in that? Got to know God. 
out of nowhere. Just like, just like David here, we've got to remind ourselves of God's sovereignty and of God's holiness and how in turn His grace has given us His holiness through Christ. Our ultimate rest is always found in Christ. Christ is the Sabbath rest. Christ is our ultimate eternal rest. And Christ is our rest now. His holiness is what we cling to for our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for these truths here. In the Psalms, we ask that you would use them in our lives. Allow us to trust wholly in Jesus. Allow us to express our worship, not, not, just, not just internally, though that needs to happen, definitely. But then externally as well, let us speak your worship. And, and then not just to each other, although that needs to happen as well, but to a lost and dying world. But let your, your worship be heard from your people. Everyone, by the, by the whole earth, resounding with with your glory because we are speaking it. We are worshiping you. As friends and neighbors struggle with the chaos of this world, and as we tempted to, what do we do? We speak truth to, to, to our own hearts and then to them. We trust in a God who is absolutely sovereign. We have the opportunity to present your greatness to them. And that greatness includes the fact that you are also absolutely holy. Therefore, we need a holiness that is outside of ourselves, that is alien to us. We need the holiness of Jesus Christ. And how great an opportunity then to share Jesus is the only way. Give us hearts of worship that spreads your glory across this world and then let us rest. There is no other solid ground than the ground we stand on. Jesus Christ has presented to us in Your Word. So let us stand firmly and rest upon You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.